Thank you, Pastor Rick. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I, uh, I have Pastor Rick's Bible, so I had to steal it because he's got giant print font. <laughs> and I only brought a little travel Bible that I can barely see, so this will be helpful for all of us. forgot to turn to my first page here. Sorry. It is a lot of pages. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> my font here is big too. <laughs> oh, I, I, uh, I am so blessed. It is so good to see you all. And if you need a Bible, please feel free to raise your hand. The ushers would love to hand you a Bible so you can follow along with us this morning. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I get to fellowship with you every week. You just don't know it. I can see you through the camera, but you guys can't see me. So... Um, I know that you've been in 1 Peter and 2 Peter now, and one of the main kind of themes through that book has been false teachers and false teaching. And so as I was praying about what the Lord would have us to look at this morning to kind of stay with that theme, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, but before I, we get started, I want to apologize. A couple months ago when I was here, I had a sign-up sheet for people to take people's um, email addresses for a newsletter. And then I lost that in transit. So if you haven't received a newsletter, that's why. If you're interested, you can come see me. But um, my wife also started a blog. Uh, well, she kind of resurrected a blog that we had, she actually forgot about until she tried to go to WordPress and she realized, oh, that email is already taken. <laughs> and then we realized that we had a blog. So if you'd like to follow us on the blog, you can either write that down or just take a picture of it. And um, you can kind of follow our crazy adventures in Thailand. And with that, I'd like to invite you to stand with me this morning. And as, as we read in honor of God and his word, and we'll just read a, a little chunk from 1 Timothy chapter 4, because we'll go through the whole chapter this morning, but we'll just read the first six verses, my first section, okay? So 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul tells Timothy, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for the opportunity to come here this morning to fellowship with one another. Lord, to hear from you. We, we ask, God, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would give us willing hearts to receive all that you specifically want to speak to each one of us individually. Lord, that you give us ears to hear. Lord, and that you would use this time, Lord, to be one of transformation. Lord, that you would be making us more and more into your image as we gather this morning. Lord, we pray that you'd bless the other churches on the island with the other fellowships. And Father, we ask too that you would help us, Lord, to realize that these things that we're going to talk about, it's not on our own strength, but it's by your grace. So help us to rest in that truth as well. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Before you take a seat, please shake a hand, hug a neck, say hello to someone next to you. You know, almost everything in life that we purchase, it comes with an instruction manual. When we buy appliances from a toaster to a bookshelf um, and everything in between, it comes with some kind of instruction manual. And often those instruction manuals, they'll begin with some kind of warning, you know, do not do this. And then it gives us practical steps for the proper use of the product. And then it can also finish with some kind of advisement for long-term care. And in a sense, that's, that's our passage this morning. It, it's a passage where Paul instructs his young protege, Timothy, who was the overseer of the church of Ephesus. And part of Timothy's responsibilities were standing against false teaching, safeguarding public worship, and devoting, or excuse me, and developing mature leadership within the church. And in this specific chapter, Paul, he's going to emphasize the character and the work of a good minister of Jesus Christ. And he begins by reminding Timothy that there is a spiritual darkness at work behind false teachers. Like the instruction manual, he's going to begin with a warning. And then Paul, he's going to encourage Timothy in three primary areas. So if you're a note taker this morning, number one, the first area that Paul encourages Timothy in is to preach good doctrine. The second area is to practice good doctrine. And the third area is to progress in that good doctrine. The preaching follows the warning and the practice, like the practical steps for proper use in the instruction manual, then while our progress is like that advisement for long-term care. It's these three things that we want to consider in our time together this morning. How each of these areas can promote, can promote not only personal growth and maturity in our walk with Jesus, but also in the lives of those around us. Okay, so we want to look at the first section. If I can draw your attention back to verses one through six in our text. 
And in this section, we're going to see that preaching good doctrine is key to spiritual growth and maturity in Christ. And again, there's a warning Paul started with here against false teachers and false doctrine. And so my brothers and my sisters, we, we have to realize that we're in a spiritual battle. That there's an enemy out there that's constantly working against each one of us. Preaching and promoting a false doctrine, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons is what Paul says there in verse one. Knowing this, we cannot allow ourselves and those that we love and serve to fall prey to that enemy. And, and if we're not aware, it can happen, right? That's what's happened to these false teachers themselves. Paul, as Paul describes in the chapter, Paul, he tells us that they had begun to give heed to, right? He says, giving heed. <clears throat> that means they listened to, they gave attention to, they devoted thought and effort toward this demonic teaching that can and has had a disastrous effect. And it, Paul says to Timothy that some have departed from the faith there in verse one. That word to depart is the Greek word, aphistomy. And it means to withdraw oneself from, absolutely, to fall away. The best example of this happening to someone in scripture is probably Judas. When we consider Judas, he was a very close disciple of Jesus. He's one of the 12, right? He was entrusted with important responsibilities like the finances for the group of disciples as they traveled. John tells us that in John chapter 12, verse six. And when we consider Judas, we have to realize that in our lives and within the church, there are those who are very close to us. They're part of our fellowship. They are part of perhaps our inner circle. Maybe for years they can profess to be a Christian with their mouth, but eventually something happens. They begin to give heed to Satan, right? Doctrines of demons. And just like Judas, they can choose to depart from Jesus rather than to continue with him. Like Judas, they can be energized by the demonic. Luke chapter 22, verse 3, and John chapter 13, verse 27, tell us that Satan entered into Judas. And these people, they can prove that they were never really one of us, just as John describes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. They will begin to work against the gospel of Christ. And they seek to spread false doctrine, even from within the church. This is what Paul is describing in verse two and verse three. Nothing stifles personal growth and maturity like false teachers and false teaching. Paul reminds Timothy and all of us that these false teachers exist, not only outside the church, but also 
They might come from within. Before Paul's first house arrest in Rome, he met with a group of elders from Ephesus. And this meeting is recorded for us in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, verse 29 and verse 30, in Paul's meeting with these guys, he would tell them this, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come from, come in among you, not sparing the flock. And also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Notice the two groups there. Savage wolves will come in and from among yourselves, men will rise up. That is false teachers from both outside and inside, right? And who knows? Perhaps some of these very men that Paul talked to there, those elders in Ephesus are the same guys that are now stirring up trouble for Timothy as Paul writes this letter to him. Who knows? But this is what we do know and understand from the passage. If it could happen in Paul's day to the elders at Ephesus in that church, then it can happen here and it shouldn't surprise us. These false teachers, they're described in verse two. Notice it says they speak lies in hypocrisy. That is, they speak a masked lie, right? The word hypocrisy, it comes from the Greek word hypokrisis, and it means an actor, a stage player. The word itself is a compound noun. It's made up of two Greek words, and it literally translates as an interpreter from underneath. And it makes sense when we think about ancient Greek theater. The, the players, they wore large masks to mark which character that they were playing so that they interpreted the story on stage from underneath their masks. The word went on to refer to anyone pretending to be someone or something that they are not. And as time went on, Eventually, it has come to be understood in general terms today as a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. And that's all according to Merriam-Webster. <laughs> Masked lies. Lies disguised as the truth. That's what's a what a false teacher promotes. And you see, straight up lies are generally easier to detect. We can spot a straight up lie, but one's hidden in a kernel of truth, like a candy coated pill. They're so much easier for us to swallow. Their false doctrine, it's shrouded in this pious self-righteousness. And it's typified in the example that Paul gives there in verse three. Look at verse three. He, he says, they forbid to marry and commanding to abstain from foods, right? These teachings, they can sound very religious. They're denying the flesh and unclean things, but there's a deeper issue that's going on. When we ascribe to such lies, we deny the goodness of God 
and we distort the word of God. The psalmist, he wrote in Psalm 25, 8, good and upright is the Lord. James would declare in James 1:17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. God is good, fruits and vegetables. Genesis chapter 1, verse 29 and 30 tell us that. But after the flood, in Genesis chapter 9, to all mankind, God said, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. So Jesus himself also acknowledged this truth in Matthew chapter 15, verse 10 through 20. He was in a discussion with his disciples about what makes one clean and unclean. And he says this, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but it's what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man. Again, the Lord showed this truth to Peter in a vision, right? It's recorded for us in Acts chapter 10. The vision is of that great floating tortilla with all kinds of animals, right? Paul, he taught it this way to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He reminded us that the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness, and he added in that passage to the Corinthian believers that as brothers and sisters, when we exercise our freedoms, we are to do so to the glory of God. So we have the freedom to eat what we want. We simply need to exercise that freedom in love. Marriage is also God's institution. It's one of the many blessings that God has given us. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God, he, he would say to Adam, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Jesus and Paul, they both endorsed marriage. Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But it's not that everyone must marry or has to get married. But you and I, we have the freedom to choose whether to get married or not, and there's no issue either way. This is what Paul tells Timothy. That's why, excuse me, Paul tells Timothy, these things are things that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth there in verse 3. Let's look again at verses four through six. You can follow along. I'm going to read it again. It says, for every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. And if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and out of good, the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. It's the word of God that's the primary focus there in those verses. False teachers, they distort and they twist the word. But we're to hold fast to good doctrine. 
We're to be actively instructing others in it, preaching it not only to ourselves, but to those around us. Preaching the word combats the work of the enemy. And so Paul encourages Timothy, instruct the brethren in these things there in verse six. That is, preach good doctrine. Understand and teach the truth. That's what a good servant of Jesus Christ does. It's a distinction between the false teachers and the servants, the true servants of Jesus, whether or not they preach good doctrine. And there's a great benefit from this type of service. One benefit is noted there in verse five, for it is sanctified by the word, right? The word of God and prayer sanctifies. Sanctification there in verse five, it's the Greek word hagiadzo. And here it's simply understood as to cleanse externally, to purify. It reminds us though, that we are not just physical beings in a physical world, but we are also spiritual. We have a relationship with the living God, the creator who is good and honors our relationship with him. One that's built on the proper understanding and full of thanksgiving. God, he cleanses the good things that he gives us and we can be grateful for it and for them. And there's a clear relationship between this cleansing and the word of God. Consider with me the prayer that Jesus would pray in the garden of Gethsemane. John chapter 17, verse 17, right? He prays for you and for me. And he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus, he asks the father, cleanse and set each apart by your truth. And then he defines what that cleansing truth is. The word of God. In John 15, three, Jesus would tell the disciples, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So believing and preaching good doctrine, God's word clearly has a cleansing effect on our lives. Verse six gives us another benefit though. Look at verse six. It says, you will be nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. Nourished. Some of your Bibles might read trained in the words of faith. It presents this idea of our minds being strengthened and built up. Something nourished is something well fed for growth to take place in order to keep one healthy, right? The word of God, good doctrine, it makes us spiritually healthy and strong. Remember our Lord's words to Satan. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus would reply, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew chapter four, verse four. So the word of God for the believer is as essential a source of life and vitality spiritually as physical food is for our body. Peter wrote in his first epistle in chapter two, verse two, as newborn babes, 
Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. May we always desire hunger and thirst for God's word and for that good doctrine, which will strengthen us and cause us to grow into maturity in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So preaching good doctrine is key to spiritual growth and maturity. Our second section verses seven through 12. So in that second section, we're going to notice that practicing good doctrine is vital to spiritual growth and maturity. Let's read verse seven. Paul tells Timothy, but reject profane and old wives fables and exercise yourself towards godliness for bodily exercise profits a little but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is that now is and of that which is to come. And this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. This section is like those practical steps for proper use as we think of that instruction manual illustration. Practically, we need to reject those things that are not profitable, right? The profane, as Paul tells us, here in verse seven, that is the worldly. That word profane in the new King James, it's translated as godless in the NIV and irreverent in the ESV as worthless in the NASB and pointless in the CSB. And so the idea that's being presented is clear. We reject those things that are not from God and we simply, that simply waste our time. Uh, as I was thinking about what is that in my life? There's one item that stood out above the rest and it was my phone. Right? <laughs> I'm so guilty of mind numbing scrolling. Just a waste, a pointless waste of my time. It, and it doesn't really do me any good. In fact, it keeps me most of the time from actually doing something that is beneficial, like spending time with my kids, like engaging with the people around me. And so I, I need to listen to this myself. There's another part of verse seven that we're to avoid, right? It's old wives fables. This is an expression that refers to superstitious claims or urban legends. And we've all heard superstitious things in urban legends before. I, I wrote down some examples for us though. One is an apple a day keeps the doctor away. I don't know if that's true. It's just a superstitious claim. I think of it every time I take a bite of an apple though. 
Another one that I wrote down is, don't go out with wet hair or, or you'll get sick. It's kind of a hard thing to do sometimes, especially during rainy season in Thailand. For the Burmese, they actually have a superstition that if they exercise or run outside and their hair gets wet, that they're going to die. So they'll wear little pieces of plastic on their head. These things are not really true, and they're not really worth our time, our focus, our energy. We don't want to pay attention to them, right? To the Colossian believers, Paul would write in Colossians chapter two, verse eight, he wrote this, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. The wisdom and the philosophy of this world is a trap and it cheats us of our time and our energy and it pulls us away from, from what really matters. Practically, we must reject these things. And then Paul, he tells us what we need to actually draw close to, right? Exercising ourselves towards godliness. That's the last part of verse seven there. Instead of exercise that we have here in the New King James, the NASB uses the word discipline. Discipline yourself towards godliness. The NI, the, excuse me, that's the NASB. I don't know if I said that right. But the NIV uses the word train. So you've got exercise, discipline, or train. All of these present the idea of hard work, focus, time, and attention. These words are sweaty words in Okinawa. It's true. Paul in verse eight, he contrasts this physical exercise or training to our spiritual disciplines. And as a member of the Free Burma Rangers, my family and I, we understand the importance of bodily exercise. For a ranger, it's not a fad or fun or just for fun. It's a necessity. It's a, it's a way of life exercise. Every week, at least three times a week, we have to work out. We hike, we run, we exercise at the office so that we can be physically able and ready to do the ministry that God has called us to do. And getting in shape is not easy. It requires dedication, time, energy, and a lot of effort. Each week in my house, there are real physical tears that are shed. <laughs> and we have shirts that are soaked in sweat right? Workouts before school means early mornings, means getting out of bed when the sky is still dark. And it means a lot of extra laundry. But when the road is out because of heavy rains and the trucks can't go any farther and you still have 20 kilometers to go, it means that we have to be ready, right? Bodily exercise profits a little, just as verse eight says. But notice where the true value lies in the contrast that we see in verse eight. 
The greater value, it says, is in godliness. Godliness. That is born out of true spiritual discipline. Bodily exercise profits a little. There's benefit here on earth. It can be a means of ministry. It can be a means of transportation, endurance. It can even promote good physical health. But it is limited to only being of value to this life and not the life to come. But godliness, godliness is both extremely valuable here and in the life to come. Godliness is of eternal significance. It impacts my life and it impacts the life of all those around me, right? And godliness is like being in good physical shape. It is spiritual health and it requires a focused, intentional work, a labor and a discipline to achieve. Godliness doesn't happen on its own and it doesn't happen overnight, And notice Paul's language in verse 10. He says, for to this end, we both labor and we suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Paul, he suffered and he agonized in his spiritual discipline. To the Corinthian believers, Paul, he would write, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. He says, But I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be become disqualified. That word there in verse 27, in the New King James, discipline, in other translations, it's, I beat my body. I buffet my body. It's this picture of beating oneself into submission of holiness. And so I want us all to consider two questions as we think about this idea this morning. Number one, how hard do I work at godliness? And number two, when was the last time I labored and strived for holiness? You know, if I'm perfectly honest with you, I have to confess that I don't work as hard at those things than I expend my effort and energy on things much less beneficial. Just to be honest. Now, some of you might be thinking, hey, this work, this labor, this holiness, this sounds pretty legalistic, Kevin. What's the deal? We are saved by grace. Let's not make any mistakes. Through faith, and it's not of ourselves, but it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's correct. Salvation is God's work in us. And we simply respond to God's grace in faith. And we can do nothing apart from Jesus Christ. That's what he would tell us in John 15, 5. 
But the process of godliness, becoming more and more like Christ, it's a partnership. It's a partnership with God, and it's born out of our relationship with him. All relationships are a two-way street, right? The development of relationship requires effort on both parties. St. Augustine, he said it this way, Pray as though everything depends on God and work as though everything depends on you. Paul, he says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me is not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I but the grace of God that was in me. This is why Paul can say here in our text in verse 10, it is to this end that we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men. The practice of good doctrine, living it out as you walk in this life is the evidence of God's abundant grace at work in your life to God's glory. And this is not only beneficial to you and me as believers, but our godliness is also beneficial to all those around us. Look at verse 12. Paul tells Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Exercise in godly living helps us to become a good example in six, six areas. Number one, it helps us to be a good example in word, right? Our speech it needs to be honest and loving. Paul would tell the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter four, verse 15, that they are to speak the truth in love. Our speech is also to be full of grace and seasoned with salt. Paul to the Colossian believers in chapter four, verse six, he would write, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Number two, conduct. These are the things that we do, our actions, right? A life controlled by the word of God. That's what our life is to be. All actions, not just lip service, as Paul says in Titus chapter one, verse 16. Number three, in love. That's the motivation of our lives. We don't serve to be honored by men, but because we love God and we love others. First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, Paul writes, let all that you do be done with love. Number four, in spirit. And, and this, this fourth area that we're to be an example in, it's not in many manuscripts. But it really speaks to our attitudes, that inner excitement that we are to have as a child of God. Paul, he wrote to 
the Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, and he says, rejoice always. That type of spirit is what could cause Paul to sing and with Silas while he was in prison, as we see in Acts chapter 16. Number five, it says in faith. That implies that we are to trust God and we're to live a life that is faithful to him. Romans chapter 14, verse 23 tells us, whatever is not from faith is sin. Number six, impurity. This is important because as we live in this present evil world, we're going to be faced with so many different temptations that it's imperative that we keep our minds clean and our hearts and our bodies. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 119 verse nine, and he asks the question, how can a young man cleanse his way? And then the psalmist would give the answer to that question by taking heed according to your word. Godly living is not just helpful to us and to other believers, but it also has a great positive influence on the lost world around us. All that many may ever see and know about God comes from watching your life as you live it out for Jesus. And we can't let age be an excuse for how we conduct ourselves, right? Paul told Timothy, let no one despise your youth. And that word youth is a really interesting word. It's used from people that are very young to people that are around 40 years old, like myself. And so no matter what age you are, we together, we're to be a good example for others to follow. We want to practice good doctrine because it will help us to grow and mature in Christ. And if you struggle with spiritual disciplines like I do, this is what we can do together. We pray for grace upon grace and more grace at work in our lives. Amen? Okay, our third and final section for this morning is verses 13 through 16. Let's read it. It says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, by the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourselves entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Progress in good doctrine. This is our advisement for long-term care, right? With our instruction manual. Paul, he's pointing Timothy forward. He's directing him in movement with the things to continue in, telling him how, like what to progress in. And the key part of this section, I believe, comes from verse 15, when it says that your progress may be evident to all. 
Timothy is to grow spiritually so that the whole church can see his spiritual progression and imitate it. We, we, however, we cannot lead others into places where we have not been ourselves. And that's why it's important for progress to be evident in our own lives. But what, what is it that makes spiritual progress possible? Paul, he gives us the answer to that question. These are the fundamental factors that have to be in place for progress and growth toward maturity to take place in the Christian life. Number one, number one, we have to emphasize God's word. Look at verse 13. Give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine, right? Paul tells Timothy, give attention to. That means devote yourself to, be completely absorbed in These things are to be primary, not secondary. An intentional focus, not an afterthought. The word was to be the most important thing that Timothy did. Remember the apostles' attitude towards the word of God in Acts chapter 6? They had a problem that arose in the early church between the, the Hellenistic believers and then the, the regular Jewish believers. And in Acts chapter six, verse two, we would read the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And it's not that serving tables was unimportant, right? It was important. It was so important that they would appoint seven men full of the Holy spirit to do that work. But the more important focus for the apostles was the word of God. In Acts chapter six, verse four, they would say, but we will give ourselves in continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. When Paul says in verse 13, give attention to reading, to reading is the public reading of scripture. It comes with God's promise that's found in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10 and 11, that the word of God, it will never return void. It shall accomplish all God's pleasure and it will prosper in the thing for which it was sent. There's a powerful, effective work, which the simple reading of God's word accomplishes, and it should not be neglected in the church, nor in our own personal lives. Exhortation and doctrine there in verse 13, that is the encouragement and teaching of the word, the explanation and the application of the words to the word of God, to the lives of people right? We are to read the word, we're to explain the word, and we're to apply the word to life. We must emphasize God's word. Number two, we must use our spiritual gifts. Verse 14, Paul told Timothy, do not neglect the gift that is in you. All believers receive the gift of the Holy Spirit upon conversion. The moment that we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we receive God's Holy Spirit who dwells in us. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. He resides in us. But we also receive at least one gift from the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about these gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then he would tell us the reason for these gifts in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. It's for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. But Paul here, I believe, is describing something more. God can and often does impart some special spiritual gift for a specific task or place in ministry. This Timothy received when the eldership prayed for him and laid their hands on him. But for some reason, he neglected to use his gift. And Paul would even write to him again in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, again encouraging, hey, stir up the gift that is in you. We don't know exactly what this specific gift was in Timothy's life, but we do know this. God who calls us will also equip us to do the work. As the saying goes, where God guides, God provides. And that's not just in material things, but spiritually we're gifted in that which is necessary to complete the tasks at hand. We must, however, not be passive. We must use God's gift. We must develop them wherever God places us for ministry. Number three, we must be given entirely to Christ. Look at verse 15. It says, meditate on these things. Give yourselves entirely to them. This is... It means that we need to care for. We need to give our complete attention to. We need to live out. We need to be in to these things. Timothy's spiritual life and ministry, it, it was to be an all-absorbing, all-encompassing thing in his life. It's what needed to define who he was. And remember with what passion Paul wrote to the Philippians. I want to read you a passage from Philippians. It's in chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. Paul, he talks about this. He says, But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted a loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal 
for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We want to give ourselves entirely to Christ, both our thinking and our actions. We want to press forward in him. Number four, we must examine ourselves. Verse 16 says, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, right? It's been said that God must work in us before he can effectively work through us. Too often we get caught up in the mundane of life or in work of ministry, and we neglect our own spiritual well-being. And there's an example recorded in the gospel of Luke. In the gospel of Luke, we have this picture of Martha and Mary. And Martha, she's distracted with much serving, so much so that she begins to complain. She complains against the Lord and she complains against those that she serves, right? She says in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered her and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. If we are not careful, we may neglect our spiritual well-being in our service to others. And if we do, we'll begin to complain against God and against those we serve. And we can become embittered. We can burn out and we can fall prey to all kinds of sin and temptation. So we need to be careful. We need to intentionally take spiritual inventory of our own lives as we progress in that good doctrine for salvation. And Paul tells Timothy there at the very end, the last part of verse 16, that if we do this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now, we in and of ourselves, we cannot save people. Only Christ saves. The scriptures in total make that very clear. But Christ, he has chosen to bring salvation to people through church members, right? you and I, parts of the body of Christ. And healthy churches mean healthy displays of the gospel to a lost world, world, which results in men and women getting saved and coming to Christ. So in conclusion, we want to grow and mature in Christ. And we do so by preaching good doctrine, by practicing good doctrine, and then by progressing in that good doctrine to God's glory. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. Lord, those practical principles, Lord, that can lead us and guide us. But Lord, we also want to realize that we cannot do these things of an, in and of our own. Lord, apart from you, we're just selfish sinners. So Lord, we ask God that you would give us your grace, that it would be your work in us. Lord, that 
allows us to desire to spend time with you in prayer, to develop those good spiritual habits. Lord, to, to take the time to read and, and then to have a life that lives out and practices and progresses towards maturity and spiritual growth in faith as we walk with you, Jesus. So please do that work in us. And Lord, that it wouldn't be a burden that we carry, but that we would just rest under the shadow of your wings as you carry us along closer and closer to you through this life. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.